Hello all, welcome to the Lunar Sea Spire Cartoon Fan Podcast. This is episode 469, and today we'll be talking about Nimmona. I'm GC13. I'm Soren. And I'm David. So we're getting a little bit of the, the movie action today. Knights fighting monsters. Um, definitely a classic tale, as old as time. Yeah, first of all, uh, please watch this. Please watch Nimona on Netflix mm-hmm. uh, as soon as possible. Um, you know, please listen to us first and have it entirely spoiled for you. But also, please watch it. Like, I'm personally not on many social platforms these days, so I have no idea how much this movie was talked about. But like, holy crap, I really hope that <laughs> that it catches on, that people see this and people care about the characters in this because it, it's really worth it. So yeah, please, uh, please find the time <laughs> to see it. And then, you know, come back here and hear us gush about it. Or at least I assume we'll gush about it. Uh, and not just that. After you watch the movie, I also, and I'm not asking, I'm telling, read the comic <laughs> as well. It is fantastic. It is really good. I, well, the thing is, is I had the best experience. Cause usually, like, if you're, if you have either a comic or a book that something was made a movie out of, like, always watch the movie first because you're not going to enjoy the movie as much if you're comparing it to its original source material because you've already seen it. But I had read Nimona in one sitting at a Barnes and Noble while my mom was like shopping and I was like 15. So this would have been what, like (laughs) 2013? (laughs) And deep lore Lunar Seaspire listeners know this story if they (laughs) watch some old She-Ra video, I think. so. (laughs) That's right, I have. This is, okay, sometimes I forget what I tell. I'm pretty sure I had to spend like, you know, an hour you know, pseudo-animating it for a video, so... <laughs> that was immediately... I'm like, That's oh, yeah. right! That's <laughs> right! Okay, well, now I'm gonna have to go back and watch our content. Um, let's see. <laughs> yeah, Nimona came out, um... What year? I got the answers for you. Webcomic from 2012 to 2014, and then collected into a, uh, single graphic novel in 2015. So I think it, I was actually 17 when I read it for the first time, because 2013 would have been a little bit too early. <laughs> it's a not that long of a read. It's absolutely wonderful. You can find it for free online, although I highly suggest, you know, supporting the creator and purchasing a physical copy or a digital copy or whatever, but you can very easily find it online for free. And this is after you've watched the movie. That's the ideal order. But I remembered nothing of Nimona, absolutely, like, next to nothing. And then I watched the movie with a friend of mine and, you know, some of it was coming back. The, the fair amount was changed because I would not say that the comic was 100% PG. Like it had that kind of feel to it, but I think they cursed a little bit here and there. Some like light stuff. Oh, I'm sure Nimona would be quite mouthy if uh, free of age restrictions. Yes. And Nimona is also quite murderous. Like, she does commit just full-on on-screen murder all the time. She's pretty bad in the movie, too. <laughs> yeah, but, like, the murder is a bit more implied, you know? Like, in the end... They were like that when I got here. <laughs> yes, very, very dead. But I remember it starting out, and I'm like, I do vaguely remember Nimona having to, like, convince Ballister to be his sidekick. But... Yeah, a lot of it is uh was adapted straight over, some of it not so much. 
there's also some like what's the word like behind the scenes videos um andy stevenson so if you don't know anything about andy stevenson he is the creator of she-ra and very recently transitioned so hence like some confusion with the name but the initials are the same but yeah he has been you know making stuff since 2013 has also made lumberjanes which i have not read although i probably should yeah hopefully someday we'll get to talk about that in television form if that ever happens you know it's a miracle this made it through from the blue sky you know animation studio death but yeah somehow lumberjanes is also was in production during covid and then had a rocky history because of the disney acquisition of you know blue sky and that dying but it Lumberjanes uh, is also going to be a animated series on HBO Max. So there's uh, another thing to look forward to. So his career is definitely going strong. But um, some of the kind of backstory with Nimona, which, you know, some of us may have heard or not, is that it was originally going to be a Disney movie. And it was going to release uh, February 2020, but it kept getting delayed um, multiple times until they eventually uh, just canceled it. I think Blue Sky Studios closed down in 2021, but then Anna, Annapurna, Annapurna, Annapurna Pictures uh, with Netflix mm-hmm. picked it up and started working on it again. And it was mostly, from what I hear, it was mostly done when Disney canceled it. Yeah, like what what you see in the Netflix show is definitely like there's a reason why it looks so beautiful, and you're like, oh my god, <laughs> how much money went into this? Like this is very seriously good this was using like new tech a whole new animation pipeline right 3d pipeline that blue sky had developed right so this is really cool and oh my god i'm just so glad that it made it over because yeah it was like they're quoted as saying 70 to 75 percent complete before the acquisition it's a lot of money to waste and it's not just like here's the thing right disney animation has been going on a very, like, photorealistic, or I wouldn't say photorealistic, but, like, they're not doing multimedium in the sense of not really mixing 2D and 3D animation. Like, and and it's kind of been a trend that we've been seeing recently. I think Spider-Verse definitely was, like, a big, one of the big first ones to, like, start combining that 2D and 3D and, like, really stylizing and putting, um, because it's a cartoon. Right. So I'm not here to look at like, you know, Barbie doll, fish eyed, you know, Elsa Anna with, you know, super realistic snow physics and stuff like, yeah, it can be really pretty. But, you know, you can make it stylized and artistic and fun and, and, and squash and stretch these characters just like you do in 2D animation. And, you know, I'm, I'm seeing more of the continuation of this. And it, it was like just gorgeous to look at. I know a lot of people kind of had weird feelings about kind of the style, especially like the the big puppy dog eyes that all these characters have (laughs) yeah (laughs) i mean like in the trailers it it did like first come off to me sort of like it felt i don't know like a lot of other modern like cheaper cg animation but like that was not my experience actually seeing it so i'm glad i actually went past just the trailers because it is oh my god just splendidly animated especially all of the transformations that Nimona goes through yes really emphasizes the um like it already looks like a cartoon but yeah the way that she moves and though just like the design of all the different transformations looks yeah. so I, I don't know what the je ne sais quoi of it is it's just so spirited and so like it stands out in just the right way 
Like, yes. she stands out from the rest of the world and looks purposefully, like, a little out of place, but it it makes that moment so much more fun. Like, the first time that she turns into, what, the, is it an elephant rhino or... A rhino. A rhinoceros. Yeah, the rhino that breaks her out of jail. Like, it just felt like an explosion of energy, you know? Like, just totally interrupting the flow. It was good. Yeah, she definitely has this kind of, like, energy that sets her apart from you know the other characters and, and it's funny because the comic does kind of address that Nimona's like a lesser god in a way because she's extremely powerful and the the comic is also like a kind of um sci-fi fantasy mix as well which is something i did not remember so so she's insanely powerful in the comics like she she gets her head cut off and is fine Oh, like Alucard. So they kind of adapted that a little with the, she can survive the arrow and then she can survive the sword stab. <laughs> oh, can we, can, can we get into spoilers? Because that scene was beautiful. I mean, I don't know why you're listening to this without having watched it. If you are, stop, pause right now, watch it, read it, and then come back. I think they telegraph a lot of their twists, like, very hard, like... In fact, they telegraphed that Nimona was Glorith's monster so hard that I thought Ballister had figured it out. I was honestly surprised when he's like, wait a minute, that was you? And I'm like, I thought you knew this, my guy, what happened? But, oh, the the, the stabbing scene, it's like, uh, the overacting, it's like, oh, that is beautiful. <laughs> that, that is the Nimona touch. I was enjoying that. I'm glad you caught the telegraphs early because definitely the first reaction that you know, Nimona's playing up to getting stabbed. I thought, oh, why are they, are they just trying to make us feel better about this guy's death? <laughs> you know, like, with it being slightly silly and then it keeps going. Yeah, I, like, when he started being a little bit sillier than normal, I was like, huh? And then I was like, oh, is this Nimona? And then um, the twist came in. But honestly, I completely forgot the twist that she was Glorith's monster. I did not catch that. And in the... I don't think they have, like, that same backstory in the comic. Have either of you read it? No, I have not. <laughs> I just started, and I'm only on chapter two. <laughs> I don't think they have that same twist in the comic. It is, um... I mean, it's set up quite a bit differently, right? Like... Yeah. This time, Boldheart, who's Blackheart in the, the novel, is mm -hmm. fundamentally good from the start, right? Like. And that's just, I mean, maybe I haven't made it far in enough yet, but he's explicitly villainous, is himself trying to yeah. be villainous at the opening of, of the webcomic, so... Yes, so we don't start with Boldheart or Blackheart's backstory in the comics. It, he's already an established villain doing his villainy stuff, and he's like, you know, anti-hero uh, villain, I would say, you know, trying to take down the government sort of thing and the the institute was never seen as like the good guy in the comics like Nimona's just like ooh you're bad let's team up and i know the the movie is the same but we have blackheart's or boldheart's um balisters he's far far more like no i'm not a villain yeah he does try and argue it in the comic they still argue but more about like the methods yeah i don't understand like you have a superpowered uh, henchman just like why risk yourself out there just say okay henchman go kidnap the squire 
you gotta lean into it, you know? Yeah, except for except for the part where, like, he's pretty reluctant, basically the entire film, and, you know, starts vibing with her when he understands, sort of, why she's doing what she's doing, and really sees that, uh, well, yeah. I mean, she does have legitimate bloodlust, but it can be <laughs> managed, or at least redirected, so, you know, that's good, I mean... Yeah, their their little dance scene as their smear campaign goes viral. <sighs> that was beautiful. <laughs> yeah, is it bad that in the era of, like, generative AI, I'm like, oh, in sci-fi stories, they're gonna change forever. Like, this has gotta be one of the last times that we would see, you know, oh, a futuristic setting, but when a video goes out, everyone believes it until somebody says, oh, no, it was a shapeshifter. It's like, that premise probably won't work <laughs> in another, you know, five, ten years. Oh, yeah. that's okay. You, you saw what happened to horror films with the invention of smartphones, or yep. just cellular phones in general. Just, uh, ignore them. Yeah, they have to just exist in a universe where, uh, smart, where phones just don't exist, or they are in the radio silent zone, or something like that. A lot of movies, like, major plot points stop working once you have, like, cell phones in general, but now smartphones, right? Everybody has instant access to the internet. Unless, you know, something happens. They do. Th th I know they have tablets. Do they have like proper smartphones in the movie? I don't remember. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. The, the squire uh, was recording himself with one. That's right. That's right. That's right. That's right. That was really funny. Um, I would love to see his TikTok account. I just love that. I have evidence. Not anymore. <laughs> <laughs> good thing that you think that you're on the good side here, man. Yeah. It's funny that they destroyed the phone. It's like, well, the cloud does exist yeah I, I i was waiting for them to say uh well great now we have to look up his google cloud account thank you yeah what's your icloud password see this is why you don't kill the squire you need him to get you into the cloud account maybe yes but i did really love the kind of aesthetic combination they did of this fantasy and sci-fi how in the past it was all fantasy it was like all of this you know classic like Lord of the Rings-esque Middle Ages sort of fantasy, but they kept the swords. They have guns now, but they still have swords. And horses. That's one of the problems of this world. It doesn't feel to me like a world that can actually exist, because I have so many questions. It's like, okay, Nimona's kind of evil, so she seems like she would really relish fighting these guys, but at the same time, I don't feel like they've actually made it out there to fight her i feel like they've spent a thousand years without ever seeing her and like how can yeah. you enforce a don't go outside the wall it's scary out there for a thousand years when you really just have one prankster spirit who hates being called a monster yeah i wish they'd kind of that's the one thing i wish they'd kind of established a bit more about the outside world like i think they imply that there are other cities and city states or civilizations or whatever out there because then at the end they have the, the like cars and stuff going in and out of the wall. But yeah, I wish they'd kind of established that there were other types of monsters and it wasn't like just Nimona, you know, chilling out there. Yeah, and also uh, one of the most egregious stories that grew in the telling I've ever seen. Like the Glorith banishing the monster back into the shadows. And it's like, I know they did a Camp Laszlo episode with a story that got blown all out of proportion. Uh, there was another one that I had thought of, but I forgot. But yeah, this this one's up there. I mean, I like part of it is, you know, just 
simple motivation and do your film and focus on the characters. So I'll forgive if, you know, we don't dig into the other monsters because honestly, I feel like this film really was <laughs> like nicely, extremely nicely, evenly paced. And honestly, it just like takes you through really cleanly without, you know, you might build some questions afterwards, but I feel like it's just going beat to beat without, you know, too much concern of all the logistics of the world or whatever. But I did, I really like the initial storybook setup and even, you know, the visuals of the storybook and the way that everything has it's, sort it's of a little Shrek sheen. And it was so Shrek-y, I couldn't believe someone didn't rip out a page at the end and say, like, that was ever going to happen. Somebody <laughs> Yeah, like, it was so close. But I really appreciate that. Um, I mean, it honestly has kind of a shrek sort of... Um, it, it It is saying, ah, here's the fantasy world, but, you know, screw the trope that the monsters are bad. Monsters are badass, you know? Subversion? Yeah. Uh, well, it is subversion, yeah. Yeah, I guess that's it. Yeah, I just... <laughs> whatever the literary word is that means that they're similar in sharing that subversive theme. Yeah, I mean, this whole kind of movie um, has the sort of theme of, like, being rejected for being different. And, like, the kind of, like, isolation and pain that it can cause. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. If only all of us could turn into giant black monsters when when stuff like that happens. But it was a very... it. I would say the climax in the movie hit very hard in a way that maybe the comic did not. In the comic, it was... I think it it was Ballester's sort of betrayal, but it wasn't, like in the same way like it wasn't just because he was mean to her <laughs> if that makes sense in in the movie you know he he does say some like cruel words but in the book like he genuinely gives the enemy like information on how to like disable her powers because i think she was going to like kill a bunch of people or something they had like an oh. a, they had an ideological sorry spoilers david they had a, <laughs> some ideological difference and he gave the enemy not the enemy. So in the comics, there is a scientist character, which, once again, spoilers, will remind you very much of a certain scientist character that we see in She-Ra. <laughs> Do we have the hair? Is the hair there? The hair's kind of important. <sighs> Just one big ponytail, but it's not, like, mm. mobile. But it is very, like, and that's the thing about, you know, being a creator. Like, you're constantly recycling your own work. Butch Hartman. <laughs> Well, I wouldn't I wouldn't throw him on the same table as uh Andy Stevenson, but yeah, there's uh there's definitely some like early entrapped uh, hints in this scientist character whose name I unfortunately have forgotten. But I think Ballister gave scientist some information on how to like disable Nimona's powers or shape shifting because they had like an ideologue they thought you know Nimona was gonna just start killing people. But yeah, the, the plot at the end does kind of diverge there. Like, I would say the central theme of, like, being labeled as a monster and, you know, who's a monster, who's a hero, who's the good guy, who's the bad guy, it does stick. But a lot of the sort of feel of the, of the message is, is different. It's a bit more optimistic, I'd say, in the movie, which does, you know, and, and here's the thing, right? Like, if you think about the creator, <laughs> and, and it's really funny from like 
my own perspective, right? Because I think he transitioned the year after I did. So he went dark for a little while and then came back and it's like, hi, uh, he can pronouns a new name, by the way. And, and, and did, you know, like make a comic and talk about it. And I would genuinely recommend like reading it. It's very heartfelt and touching, but it does add a lot of context to where you're coming from in this story, right? Mm -hmm. Because obviously it's a very queer story. I mean, just like look at the credits for crying out loud and Ballister and Golden Loin. What is his first name? What is Golden Loin's first name? I can Why only I... remember the word Golden Loin. Ambrosius, though. Ambrosius. Just an amazing, amazing name. <laughs> I mean, it's obviously a name you make when you're kind of making like a fantasy parody. Like, here's the good blonde, good guy hero who's, you know, so full of himself. Ambrosius Golden Loin. I mean, you would have thought that he would be much worse, but he was actually pretty cool. Um, Stupid, but... He was much cooler than I expected him to be when it's like, oh, yep, here's the golden boy. Well, I know who the chief tormentor is going to be. I cannot believe that they kept Golden Loin, but changed Blackheart. Because I guess it would have been too on the nose if he wasn't supposed to be a villain at the beginning. But Golden Loin, I, I cannot believe that they kept that. That's really funny. <laughs> <laughs> Which does bring up some questions about carpets and drapes, but I will keep that to myself. You can put two and two together. But yeah, and I mean, it's a story. And here's the thing, right? Like, what I enjoy about these kinds of metaphors is that it doesn't have to just be about, like, the queer experience. It can be about a lot of different sort of marginalized or ostracized types of people, right? Like, if you watch this movie and you're like, wow, I'm disabled and this applies to me a lot, or I'm, you know, neurodivergent, or... You know, that sort of thing. Like, I, I would say autism could fit this metaphor very well. And, and that's kind of the beauty of it. Like, yeah, you can make a story about, like, the character is queer and is discriminated for that. And at the end, you know, love and acceptance and all that thing. But when you make it this sort of fantasy metaphor, it reaches a little bit wider. And I mean, there's nothing wrong with stories where you do name those exact identities, but there is, and, and, and it's also like, in a in a in a children's medium, keeping things vague is a double-edged sword in the sense that sometimes people don't really internalize the lessons with everything. Where it's <laughs> right. like you go to someone and says, like, hey, remember all those cartoons you watched as a kid where you're supposed to be yourself and not, you know, like torment people for being different and how being different is fine? Yeah, uh that applies to everybody, not just <laughs> like what you've decided is okay, right? So yeah, it's it, it's that double-edged sword of maybe it's too vague, but I would say here it's very, they don't, they don't necessarily hide anything. Like they have the queer and trans flags playing and flashing across the screen in the credits. The characters are very openly in a gay relationship and Nimona is very gender non-conforming. And so I would say that it's not as easy to like dismiss the, the sort of lesson there. Yeah. Like, in a sense, like, it is great that it applies. It, like, it, it does, right? Just the idea of being outsider, being feared, you know, it, it's a general theme. But I do feel that, like, the film does guide you specifically toward some of those more, like, like, to me, it felt very specific to, like, trans identity more and, like, how that looks in the world in a way that children can understand, where, like, you see the specific vilification of someone, right? Like, the idea that, like, we're going to push you out of your community and we're going to, like, 
constantly tell the story that our community is threatened by you. And yes, we need to always be on the lookout for you. Right. And the fact that it's shape shifting specifically. Right. Which is like the the trans superpower, <laughs> right? If you right. it's really funny um, on Tumblr, which, you know, the the eight people who use it, they added polls like they have on Twitter. And one of a poll that comes up, like literally multiple people will make the same poll. It's like, what superpower would you have if you had the choice? And number one, like 80 percent <laughs> of the votes is shape shifting every time <laughs> shape shifting and being queer. It's like hand in hand. You know, the idea of somebody shifting shape and then people in real life doing so by either, you know, transitioning or just like being gender nonconforming or being visually different or, you know, like that idea of wanting to mold oneself as their own, like being your own creation is just like such a queer concept. Like it's impossible to separate it, which is why like, you know, people trying to separate it, it's like, that's never going to work, bub. <laughs> Sorry. Like, it, it's it's too intrinsic if you have a character and also characters with secret identities right like freaking butch hartman as absolutely like conservative <laughs> obnoxious extremist religion that he is right his story about danny phantom about a boy who has to hide his identity from his family and then every trans person on the planet being like he is trans don't be surprised by that right like you can't <laughs> there's this one quote where it's like you can't write a story about somebody hiding a secret identity and then be surprised when it resonates with a queer audience you just can't separate it right and there are of course other marginalized identities that that people have to keep secret but it i think with queer because it's one of those what is the word it's a lateral identity in the sense that it's not passed down by generation it's not like being you know, a certain ethnicity or religion or a language. Um, it's, it's, it's kind of like disability, although disability can be, uh, passed down by family and queer. I mean, kind of, you're more likely to be queer if you have a queer member in your family, but not as much, right? It's, it's, it's something that you could just, like, two straight people, like straight people make the most gay babies, you know? So. <laughs> The, it's a lateral identity. So your parents and your siblings and your aunts and uncles aren't necessarily going to share that identity with you. And it can be incredibly alienating, even in a culture where it's not very heavily stigmatized, right? Cause just by the act of not having people who you can relate to, I know that this, this is just kind of like my knowledge that I learned while I was learning deaf studies in school is that Children who are born deaf in an entirely hearing family experience very similar isolation that queer people do. And there's this kind of like hand in hand, like acceptance between these communities of being this lateral identity of you were born into this family and nobody is like you. And even if they try and be accepting, it can be incredibly isolating and you end up forging some of your strongest relationships not necessarily like it can be with your family of course but with people who share your identity who aren't related to you you have to kind of go out into the world and expose yourself and that's one of the things that they they suggest right if you if you are born with a deaf child and you want to have a strong relationship with that child you need to introduce them early to other deaf people so that you yourself can also integrate into that and so that they have people that they can relate to on a personal level and it's the same thing with like queer kids right you know if you have a kid who's 
queer and nobody in your family is, like, as a young child, if you want them to have a sort of self-actualization and confidence and sense of community and connection to others, it can help a lot to introduce them to other queer people, bring them to queer events, that sort of thing. So, uh, this tangent does not have a point, unfortunately. I don't know where it started, but th yeah, this, this lateral identity of being born different when everybody around you doesn't share that identity and making stories and metaphors based off of that. So it's so wide reaching to lots of different people, right? Cause you know, I'm saying disabilities as well. Like, like autism, I would say applies very heavily here. If you're the one autistic kid in a non-autistic family, it can be very, very hard to understand your own experience. Although autism is kind of hereditary, I would say. And it, it's somewhat hereditary. Anyway, guys, that's it for us on Nimona. We'll, uh, we'll check in next week. We had quite a long discussion, so uh, we'll continue it then. But until then, I'm GC13. I'm Soren. And I'm David. Oh, okay, it's been a while. Um, I say, leave us a comment, review, or email, and then you say, Later, everybody. <laughs>